HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is being brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, believers in good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 12.45 from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Joined, as usual, with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Stas? Good. We got Dave in the booth. Dave? What up? Today we got special guest plus entourage. <laughs> plus entourage, Richard Blaze. Richard Blaze. I like the soft golf clap. Yeah, That's yeah. usually the applause level yeah. that I get. No. I also <laughs> thought I thought I was going to be like d- the, the dynamic one, but that open is just... <laughs> That's all I got. That's it's, in, I got. it's amazing. It's like, it's like literally like I could come in here... Uh, off of a bike, or like you know, you could Nastasia could wake me up from a sleep and on. Yeah, my oh, kids I, make me do it every once in a while. Uh, you crushed it. Like I don't know if I can even like go on from that point. Well, like I say, from here all it's all uh, you know, as Trump would say, low energy, Dave. From oh. here on. Uh, so, so, yes. Uh, so uh, wait, we got so let's uh, let's just. That was my trombone, by the way. Yeah, nice. <laughs> no, okay. You, you, you played beautiful. Yeah, you played beautifully. Thank you. Uh, you got to go bass trombone. The bass trombone is not a used enough instrument. It's it's not. Um, you know, I'm more of a banjo ukulele guy, though. Really? We're getting banjo? right into like... I tried to learn banjo once, failed miserably. Yeah, I never could figure it out. Um, and I hear the ukulele is really where you need to go if you're learning a stringed instrument. I mean, because it's, it's just, just one last string, I guess. Well, and it's all, it's tuned to an open chord. Right. So you can just, I mean, that's why Tiny Tim, not a musical genius, was able to cut some popular records... You know, on the on the ukulele. This is true. This but is true. you know, there is a there is a ukulele resur- every couple of years or every couple of decades. I guess at this point in my life, I feel there's a ukulele resurgence. Yeah. You know, maybe that I fell into that. Maybe that it was. It was right. like I just felt it in the air. And like, like I, yeah, I remember as a small child. I remember Tiny Tim. You know, the yeah, hot, of course. crazy. Yeah. yeah. You know, Anastasia's probably caught him just wrong. Doesn't remember him Not at, at all. all. No. Just just wrong. Got yeah. married on Johnny Carson, I believe. Oh, really? I think so. Oh. I don't think it lasted. I thought he was a wrestler. No. Just to be, no, okay. Oh, I, yeah. I know I was yeah, a yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it would be uh, a good name for a wrestler yeah. if he was massive. 
Yeah. What, what do you think about bagpipes? I'm trying to learn the bagpipes. I, well, I can't believe you just said that because I was going to ask you bagpipes or didgeridoo. Oh, bagpipes. Bagpipes. Oh. Uh, here's why. Here's okay. why. Okay. Bagpipes, bagpipes are not the kind of instrument that you ever want to hear recorded. It like needs to be live. It is a martial instrument. It's meant to like scramble eggs the inside of your body. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's portable, loud as you know, loud as hell. You know, sometimes just for inspiration, if I'm on a long run, I will queue up like the Scottish March. Really? Yeah, I queue like, up long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. It's like Braveheart. You know, it's yeah. like for me, it's just you. Uh, you uh, Braveheart was a good movie. It, I, yeah, I don't remember much of it, but I remember I felt inspired by it. So I do we have ever said this on Aaron Anastasia? Like I always thought it was like a, a missed. So the end of Braveheart. So uh, uh, Mel Gibson is Wallace, right? Mm-hmm. And so at the end of it, you know, he's a relative. He's not like a noble person. He's like a knight, whatever. Relatively commoner. He's being executed at the end because he's given up, right? And so at the end. They're cutting his nuts off, and right before they cut his nuts off, he goes, freedom! Like that, and I always thought, what a great, like, ad campaign they could have done if he had just said anything else. Pepsi! That's the last thing. There you go. Wow. Well done. (laughs) Wow, see? Remember, I haven't seen this since it came out. (laughs) There you go. So who else we got in the room? Who'd you bring with you? Let's uh, let's say hello to the entourage in case I pepper them with questions or ask them what they like to eat. Oh, I'll go around the room. So, Meredith Sidman. Publicist extraordinaire. Yeah, and Le- in Le- relation to Josh Sidman from uh, uh, Westchester, New York. No, but I'm from Westchester. Mm-hmm. All right, nice. All right, Leah, publicist extraordinaire. Yeah, so this is like big flack attack we got going. On. I'm I'm rolling deep because it's Brooklyn, and I felt like to kind of up my street cred, I needed to come in with a big crew. Got to roll heavy. Got to yeah. roll heavy. And then we just met. Joyce. Hi. Joyce. Hello. Nice. So, also re- extraordinary. I mean, we should not leave that out. Right. I just want to make sure everyone's extraordinary. He just doesn't think so much of you, Joyce. So that's an issue. So, so the reason you're uh, you're over here in our fine uh, our fine area in Brooklyn is you got a new book coming out in like is it this month or next month? It's today. No it's way. Today. This is the launch. Yeah, like this is my first appearance. No, I, mean, I thought you were on the Today Show. I, okay, I was on the Today Show. This is From my first audio, my first down, audio huh? appearance. First audio appearance? How was the Today Show? How was that like? It was amazing. You know, a couple of years ago, I spilled liquid nitrogen on Kathy Lee's feet and was banned from the Today Show for three years. Really? So, yeah, she's kidding. She can get kind of... They were amazing, though. They had some Pinot Grigio working, and we did this little snap pea salad. Yeah? Oh, she likes, she likes snap peas. She likes Pinot Grigio. You know she likes the Pinot Grigio. It was amazing. She had it. I mean, they were, they were both stunning. Yeah? Yeah. It was actually a really good segment. I, I, was, I, I was, did that show once yeah. on uh, Halloween right after Hurricane uh, Sandy, and I was just – I mean, everyone in New York was just so pissed off. That, that I, like they were like that guy is never coming back to this no. show, right? Right. And right. Nastasia has been waiting it. for years because she like literally like like loves holding Kathy Lee. Love them. Love. I, I love them too. I'm an old yeah. school Regis and Kathy Lee guy. <laughs> oh, back in the day, I love Regis. So um, my first segment I ever did with Regis, right? We're doing the segment. We're outside. It's outside summer grilling with Regis, right? <laughs> and he it was the first time we ever met many years ago, and he's like. All right, so I'm here with Jeff, and we're cooking. And he like, keeps calling me Jeff, but in my head, because I have an ego, I'm like, he's calling me Chef. Just go with it. <laughs> and then, like, all the way through about seven times at the end, he's like, and uh, that was Jeff cooking up some amazing burgers. We'll see you in a minute. But it's Regis Philbin. So yeah, yeah, I'm like, you, that's okay. He can call me whatever he wants. Whatever in the hell he wants. Exactly. Whatever yeah. in the hell he wants. Yeah, Regis. Good old days. I used to watch all of the daytime TV, like, when I first got out of college. So they were on back then in the early 90s, and I would do 
only these three things. I would watch daytime TV. I would bondo my Pontiac. And I would uh, deep fry uh, peppers in uh, in my little deep fryer, and that was it. Those are the only three things I did before my job started. That's amazing. Yeah, my future yeah. wife was like, "What the hell are you doing? Why am I with you? What is your problem?" She had a real job. They were great peppers. They were great peppers. Let's be honest. And the Pontiac was pretty sweet for a couple of years. Yeah, definitely the cheapest car I ever bought. Yeah, and now it's Seacrest, by the way. What do you mean, yeah. now Ryan it's, now Seacrest? It's Kelly and Seacrest. Really? I don't think it's called Kelly and Seacrest. It's Kelly and Ryan. So it, did she have a fight with uh, what's his name? Something happened with, with Michael, right? Strahan. And then like, all, it was a big, then they, you know, it's a big reality show of who's going to get it. I thought it was going to be me. Uh, <laughs> Were you in wasn't. the running? Were you really? No, I was not. Oh. No, no, do no, you, no. Do in you, my mind, I was in the running. Have you been on their show? Was it, was, I have. Was Are their there, chemistry okay? That chem, uh, oh, yeah. I thought the chemistry was great. They're amazing, too, of course. Yeah. So, but like, so something happened. Something happened. Who knows? But now it's Ryan Seacrest. All right. Yeah. So let's talk about your book for a minute. And by the way, call in all of your, as I say, call all of your Blaze-related questions in to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. So this book is called uh, So Good, and it's uh, 100 recipes. Is it exactly 100 recipes? I did not count. I, you know what? This book was interesting because it was like we have to – like we were really serious about the 100 recipes. Like it was a metric that I had to hit. So like my publisher's here with me, so I have to, you know. But we had – it had to be 100 recipes. And I was like, do sauces count? Do condiments count? Whatever. No. Really? No, so it's probably over 100 recipes. Don't tell that to Peterson with his sauce book. The recipe that sauces don't count. That what whole cookbook is it, sauces. It wouldn't even be a book. You couldn't even say there were any recipes. And that's it. one of the classic books. I love Oh, but book. then it would be a book with no recipes, and that would be a really good marketing angle. <laughs> really? Do people yeah. want to buy books with no recipes? Probably not. All right. Well, probably not. Right. Mm-hmm. So now, I read, the, uh, I read the introduction as well, and so the conceit here is, is that people can actually cook this stuff. I mean, the people who listen to this probably are better off, but... You include, and I had this same issue when I did, um, you know, my cocktail book. You include a lot of stuff that the average, like Jane and Joe person, wouldn't necessarily. But you always give a way out. I have to. You have to get. See, I know where you're going with yeah, this, yeah. right? So it's like the the one percent Richard Blaze fans, who, by the way, are known as Blasians, just so we can get Blasians. that out. Blasians, fans of Richard Blaze. That's like a. Star There's other Trek. definitions, That's but like it's a Star Trek thing. I it's like, like that. the third. You know, there's three definitions for right. it. Like it's the nice. third one, Blasians. Nice. Um, you know, some of them want to see. Uh, they want to see the Sears all. They want to see a li- some liquid nitrogen. Yeah, you got to give it to them. I look just I'm, a little I'm bit. For it. I'm for it. Like, here's the thing. It's like I'm a believer in. You know, if this is the way you actually do it, and you're a real live human being. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then just do it that way, and then tell people. Look, I don't expect you to do it. And if you were at somebody else's house and you had to cook something, you wouldn't be like, "There's no liquid nitrogen. I'm freaking out of here." Exactly. You know what I exactly. mean? Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I there should be some like. It, so it is. So every once in a while, there's a tank of liquid nitrogen in my basement. When I say every once in a while, I mean all, all the time. Yeah. Where, <laughs> where do you live? Where do you live? I live a little north of San Diego, Del Mar, California. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be in San Diego pretty soon. I'm going to stop by the restaurant. Oh my gosh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the, my staff would freak out if you showed up. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'll yeah. be there. I have to do some sort of uh, like thing for, for a, a liquor company. You're so mythical you, to my staff. Uh, like, like this, you know how much street, like how much like <laughs> cred I'm going to get in my kitchen because I'm on the show? This guy is good at, uh, this guy's, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, it's not, it's not, I, yeah, I'm, I mean, buttering it up coast to coast, both sides, but I'm also being honest. Oh, well, yeah. I appreciate it. So one thing I want to talk to you about, and I, I noticed in, in, in this, and uh, it's something I think it doesn't get talked to, and it's before we talk about the book in general or any questions. Um, you ever notice how chefs tend to f- like find an ingredient that they fold into their pantry and it shows up as a highlight a lot 
I do this all the time, and it changes for me every couple of years. I change like what that highlight is. So I remember Nils Noren when I was at the FCI, you know, from you know Akavit mm-hmm. and the FCI. For a while, it was like, what does this need? And we were all like. Ketchup Manise. It was always. It was, nice. It was, yeah. Ketchup Manise. That's what this needs. Ketchup Manise. Yes. And then, yes. like, you know, but there's always, but I noticed, and it's something I actually also love and use a, a lot. You love the Calabrian chili oil. I do love the Calabrian chili oil. Yeah. But, but, but with a lot of these things, isn't it like the moment you had or like the first moment that you had with that ingredient? Yeah. And you're like, oh, and then so, well, f- like, full disclosure, a friend of mine's Calabrian, and whenever he goes over there, they bring back like you know some of their family stock, and he's like, "This time it's not as good as last time." He's right, right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, but yeah. So like, I I have learned to, to love it. Yeah, and you, the great thing with ingredients like that is, yeah, you associate them with like a, a particular place, a particular thing, but you get addicted to the certain kind of note, especially something like that. So the way you describe it is a fruity heat. Right. Right. But not sweet, but fruity heat. So it's like as an alternative to like the classic thing that all the, you know, most of the chefs have been doing for the past five, six years, just hit it with sriracha, not paniche, but like, you know, the, the hot cock brand of sriracha. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Be- but it's a more, that's a more neutral and doesn't have the oils. How do you get in? How, how did you get into the Calabrian chili oil? How long have you been into the I, mean, I, I think honestly, and this is, uh, I, I just stumbled upon a jar of it. And it was one of, it probably was Top Chef or something like that. Where on these shows, you get to carry like 10 secret ingredients that are always in your case. And, and chili oil was always one of mine. A bottle of ghee was always one of mine. Uh, you know, uh, some fish, things that are like special to you that you know provide something that something's going to need in a 48 episode competition. Sometime I'm going to need something that brings some heat to the game, acidity to the game, uh, some salt, umami, whatever it is. Um, so that's how I found it. And then it was just like, oh, I kind of also just like it in my fridge to like, you know, drizzle over like ranch dressing because I'm also like, I like ranch dressing. Who doesn't? I'm just going to admit that right here. Who doesn't? That's like right, Roberta. So it's, I'm, I feel embarrassed a little bit. No, my son Dax, it's the first thing he learned how to make. He didn't right. want to learn to make anything else. Although, you know, he did make for Jen, my wife, he made breakfast in bed first time ever. So I'm like, you're 12 years old, about time. What's I mean? What, what, what did he make? What did he make? A uh, French toast, you know, classic, like first time thing. And I like, so I'm sitting there in bed. I'm like, first of all, I would never tell him this. And I don't think he was like, you know, I prefer to eat at a table. That's me. But like, whatever. But it's, it's no, but. My it, wife was floored. She loved it. Yeah. Amazing. He did a great job. But having done this when I was a kid, I was like, what does the kitchen look like? <laughs> of course. Right. Yeah, you know and it mean? was a disaster, I'm Not assuming. as bad as I thought. Nice. Yeah. I agree with you with the eating in bed sort of thing. Unless you're at a hotel. Then, yeah, like, who cares about bed. the sheets? Not my bed. Like, my favorite thing to do is a hotel, chicken wings. Two waters. <laughs> and then, like, bathroom a towel to wipe down. Afterwards, you just massage it into like, the sheet. That's a secret fact. Like I'm revealing to you. Like I've, we've connected. Nice. Well, let's, let me yeah. talk to you about the your uh, the chicken recipe. Let's just go to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Before okay. I do that, uh, I noticed also like there's also other... we're just having a lot of fun. Don't worry about the book. Like we're just kicking. Yeah. No. Like, but like uh, this I'm... is like never... so like here's something I do with people's books. Whenever I get someone's book, right? First thing you got to read. You got to read someone's introduction to see where they're coming from, where that particular book is coming from, get a feel for where they want to go. Right? You agree? Sure. Yeah. 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 Then look at a couple of pictures they choose that have nothing to do with a particular recipe to kind of see where their head's at. And so the one that I gravitated to is the picture of like just – I assume that whoever you were a photographer was like that one, that one, that one. But, but cake tester, love it, the cake tester. You got the cake tester, which is like super, you know, I like, hey, was he reading glasses? Yeah, those are, my, those are actually my glasses. Like, that's not even just a prop, chef. That's like, those are my glasses. 
What about, like, you can't use that one very often. No, you know what it is? I'm obsessed with this sort of what's in my purse sort of stuff. Right, right. So it's just like, just uh, throw it out there and take a picture of it. And then people are like, oh, wow. He rolls with a cake tester and yeah. a pasta cutter. The cake tester is like, that's the mark of, okay. We, yeah, okay. Cake, yeah. We got the cake tester. Because that's yeah. how I test chicken. Yeah. Is that how you Fish? test chicken? Yeah. yeah anything yeah, I mean, anything yeah. like that. In, boop, boop. But I feel like, is that is, is that still going strong? Or is that just, like, sh- we're showing our age or what? We're, we're, well, yes, we're showing our age probably a little bit, but um, no, I kind of like it though, right? It's it's a, it's kind of one of those like it's a you know putting the cake tester in. What is that little pin, chef? What do you have? Yeah, but oh, yeah, this is how we did it. Do you back have, in the old days, ten years ago? Right. I mean, do, <laughs> like here's the other thing too is like a lot of people when they're writing stuff, they're like, "Go oh, stick a thermometer in it." Would you ever stick a thermometer in something? Well, I will. I will say that I'm doing a couple projects right now. That I'm, and this, this sort of like, you know this already because you're amazing, right? But like, precision is an interesting thing. So, like, thermometers, I mean, I, I sous vide things all the time, right? So, that's a very precise way to measure something. Right, right. So, yes, exactly. But I rely on it and like my knowledge as a right, cook. Right, you don't I'm need not, the cake tester, is what you're saying. Well, no, no, no. Yeah. Cake tester I use. Okay. So, like, when I'm deep frying or something like that, the cake tester I use, but I would never shove an instant read into my piece right. of chicken. Yeah. Because the, my well, then the juices the, get all yeah yeah my you my you know my lip and the cake tester are good enough for me yeah and I also I do like like when you're when you're a good cook and you can just touch something yeah yeah, yeah yeah or when you ask a chef well, when is it done when it's done yeah like my favorite answer ever right is like but everyone when is it finished when everyone says you can't know but it, that's not true you can know you can know yes. like even like something stupid like pancakes right if your if your flame is a little off you touch the top of the pancake and you're like is that pancake raw in the center or not right and you're just like yeah. Is the French fry done? So much of it is observational, right? Yeah, we're dorks, also. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty true. sure. And uh, what else here? Like, you got the Kuhn Recon. That's the that's the peeler to get. Although my wife bought me a Pokemon peeler once, that I still like. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I also like it because it's like forty nine cents, right? Yeah, or yeah. probably a dollar forty nine now. But I remember there was also something like, oh, it's the best peeler, and it's also like not that expensive. Right, they get stolen all the time. From you though. can get one now that's a glove with like a safety mechanism, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think I don't so. Know. You don't go to those type of shops. No, no. no. You know what? They, they, I used to shop all the time. They used to have a really inexpensive store called Lecter's where you could go just to buy beater stuff. And then they went out of business. And so now either you're going to a department store in New York, you're going to a department store, or you have to go high end. And a lot of times, or a restaurant, a lot of times like there's no middle zone. There's not a middle zone. You know yeah. what I mean? Antique shops. Those are always fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, like, you know, I found some really good, like, old Sabatier knives there. Um, Yeah. No, that's all good. I have a massive Sabatier knife that um, in culinary school I had to kill a turtle with. It's a really, like, dark story. So what kind of turtle? So I I was uh, at the CIA, right, culinary school, just so everyone's clear. And uh, I was the Fish Kitchen Fellowship, which is very prestigious, just so we're all clear. Like, they give away one of those a year. One, right? And how many students you got? You got a lot of students. I, 75 students every three weeks. So, like, I lived in this fish kitchen, basically. And at some point, someone brought in a giant turtle. Like, a, you know, someone out in the Hudson River brought in a turtle. And they were like, we need, we need the Fish Kitchen Fellowship guy to come down here. That, I didn't even have a name at that point. I was just the Fish Kitchen guy. And then they were like, you got to cut this turtle's head off. And it was kind of like, it's kind of a dark story. I'm kind of sad about it. Well, I was just doing my job, just right. to be clear. Yeah. And the like, turtle, you know how turtle you... Turtle murderer. Tur- turtle murderer. You know, people are but very like, uptight about turtles. You know that people are very uptight about turtles, right? I am too, but for a different reason. You know why? Quick little sidebar here. All right. The book is being out... My book, so good, is being outperformed by the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle pizza cookbook. So you're for killing them. 
I'm like right now I have a little issue with them. One, because I don't think the Ninja Turtles wrote their own recipes. I'm sure of it. <laughs> Second of all, I'm not a big fan of them as superheroes. Like I take the X-Men, I take any superhero group against the Ninja Turtles any day. So after here, I'm going to Times Square. I'm going to take, 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 them take down a couple Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Also, the other thing about it is not really teenagers anymore. I mean, that's the 80s. No, they don't get, they They're never like our age. age. They're they our never age. age. That's not right. Yeah. See, teenager like is an age. They should just say immature uh, Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Well, mutant. Immature mutant Ninja Turtles. Because an age is a thing. You don't get to, like, stay a teenager forever. You can act like a freaking teenager forever, but you can't actually be one forever. This right. is an absurdity. Yeah. It makes no sense. Write your own recipes, Donatello. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't even, I don't even, I was never a fan, so I don't even know which one's which or, I mean, do they, what do they, they like anchovies? My, my, my girls actually like them. So I, so like, that's the other thing. Like they like the turtles better than me. And the old school of... turtles or these new weird, like roided out turtles. They probably only know the new roided out turtles. It's yeah. It's, 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 it's sad. It's anyway. garbage. It's garbage. Um, but anyway, yeah, this, the knife and the turtle and everyone's upset now, but it was a long time ago and I was just doing my job. But... Okay. So apparently if a turtle goes into its shell, there's a couple of ways you can get the head out, yeah, right? Yeah. Stick so... to lure it out mm. or the finger the other way, which would you need to do. Um, I didn't know about the finger technique, so I'm glad I showed up today. Uh, I'll use that in the future. Uh, <laughs> it's just, whoa! Yeah. The head so, pops out. Yeah. Bang! So it was a it was a broomstick handle. Yeah. Yeah, and it went it bit on it, and you chopped it off. Yeah. Strong. Yeah, this is a disgusting story. I'm sorry. Um, and then so like you do it like it's part of my fellowship. So I'm learning how to butcher this turtle, and like that's my like I'm learning as a Which chef. Which is weird because not a fish. Not a fish. <laughs> Not no. a fish. But who are you going to call? The meat? Yeah. I mean, I guess you could have called the meat butcher. Right. Well, that's why, like, uh, yeah, rabbits are handled by the poultry person, which you said tastes like chicken in the book. I noticed. I noticed that. But, like, not a poultry. Sure. Rodent. Not it, a poultry. Uh, no. Right. Exactly. You know um, what I mean? The scary thing was that turtle haunted me for, like, days. Because in the walk-in, it was still moving for days after. Uh, it was just... Well, they're slow metabolism. They just don't... Yeah, they don't mean... It doesn't know it's dead yet. The feet don't know it's dead yet. Every publicist in this room is freaking out right now. We should just be really clear. Okay, hold like, up. This has gone to a, let me, a dark place. Let me mention something to all of you PR folks. Yeah, exactly. And anyone out there in listening land. Uh, almost every piece of meat you've ever eaten, I'd venture to say every piece of meat that you've ever eaten, was at one point an animal. Yes, and true. And turtles, while you might like them, while you should not take turtles that are uh, improperly taken from the wild because they take a long time to... Um, replenish and you can crash supplies and so you should not take wild-caught turtles unless you i guess are allowed to in a specific place all of this is true and i think they're cool they are not smart they are not the smartest mm. of animals here's a uh, uh here's something that i judge so if you eat beef you shouldn't worry about killing a turtle turtles don't have there they now there's some argument about this uh, one of the things i take is does an animal have a sense of play Literally, sense of play. Can uh. it play, right? Does it do things other than avoid things that it hates and, uh, you know, get food and sleep, right? Turtles, pretty much no play. Yeah. All, no play. There are some, the birds, obviously, there, and there are other reptiles that can play. Monitor lizards are uh, in the reptile family, like, can get to that level where they, they have those kind of interactions. But if you don't have a sense of play, pretty much I don't feel that bad about it. Yeah. So that is your note to the publicists in the room, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, but the people nowadays, they get so hyped up about, uh, you know, no one wants to, it's because we're so separated from the food that we eat. You're right. Yeah. You know, how did it taste? Um, you know, we made like a traditional, like, uh, you know, turtle soup with sherry and, eh, eh. 
Yeah. Was it worth it? I mean, you know, I yeah. just did my job. I'm a student. I was a student. I want right. to be clear. Very rarely, with the exception yeah. of fish and crustaceans, like... The work of killing something makes the food, to me, not as much fun. I don't know something about it. I yeah. just, I, well, not me personally. But it does give you the gravity. Every, every cook does need to know all the things you said. Like, hey, this thing was alive, and you need to respect it, and you need to eat it, and you need to use all of it, right? Um, but, like, I don't, yeah, like frogs. Do you like frogs? No. I'm not a big fan of frogs. No. But there was a point in my career I was like, ooh, we got to do a frog dish. Yeah. We got and these frogs. Let's- I, I really don't like the way that they're killed where you buy them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, but again, no sense of play. Shouldn't worry about it too much. But it's still, it's just bad form. You know the, you know the way they kill frogs, right? Yeah, tell it, Dave. I don't, so I'm just, well, by so the way. Like, so if you go to, uh, at least this is in New York City. If you go to a New York City Chinatown to right. buy frogs, which okay. is where you get them here. There's a, uh, a trash barrel full of live frogs where they're just basically crushing themselves. And, you know, we're talking about – how big is that stuff? It's like three and a half inches? Sure. Four, somebody, about that size. Yeah. And the guy – assuming it's a guy. It's, I've only ever had guys. I don't, don't want to – you know, it could be anyone, right? Grabs the frog's rear legs, goes – sticks the like, – like lays the frog out, bap, onto the cutting thing. Bap, bap, with the cleaver, takes the two legs off, put the legs in the plastic bag. They, I think they weigh them first because you pay on whole frog weight. Right. Then they take the live rear legless body and throw it into the trash heap along with the fish guts. Because a frog's a fish. Did you know that? You knew that. A right. frog's a fish. This is amazing, though, but I've never seen the barrel and the butchery of... Uh... Bap, bap. Because why would you take home that whole frog body that you're about to throw away when, you know, all you want is that rear, you know, leg? You know, that's the theory of it. Thank you for making this day worth it to me educationally (laughs) as well. We have just alienated all of your, uh, by the way, you have a podcast coming, speaking of listeners, right? Yeah, so no one even knows. This is a world premiere. So I am getting into the podcast game. And now I know that I also have to work on my open, by the way. Like, thank you for just like, t- like, whoa, that's like how my open, because you're always worried talking about food on radio or an audio that it's not going to have any energy, right? Right, right. But like, oh my God, like now I have, now I have a goal, like it's, to get to that Dave Arnold energy. Punch into it um, So yeah, the podcast is going to be out soon and it's called Richard Blaze uh, is Starving for Attention, which is perfect for me. Nice. So what's it, what's the, I mean, other than food, what's the subject? like? We're get, we're just going to, we're going to talk to everyone in the industry. I mean, obviously chefs, restaurateurs and people in the beverage community, but also with a, uh, really getting into media and television and, and, you know, people that create food television shows, how it is to produce something, create a television show and, and get into the media side. And, of and, it and uh, Nightmare, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so, what do you think, though? Do you, I mean, like, now that you've been doing it so long, wait, do you, what do you think about it? Like, here's, here's my thing. A lot, without, for instance, the Food Network, I mean, there wouldn't be, I mean, like, come on. I mean, the amount of interest and, and that is generated, like, countrywide, worldwide, like, the food media has done a lot for food writ large that I think it doesn't necessarily get credit for. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to say it's been great because it's inspired so many people to discover things that they've never known that they would be into. Uh, the only sidebar is that, you know, because food is all over the place, that, you know, when as a restaurateur and as a restaurant chef, you know, you do get, you know, kids that come in that want to be a celebrity chef. Right. They've never been in the kitchen before. It, you know, it took me 12 years before, you know, I luckily got asked to come on a TV show or something like that. So you get a lot of that. Like, oh, I, I just, I want to, you know, I want to do cookbooks and be on TV shows. And you can do that. 
uh, but you know, it's not what we necessarily need in the restaurant. Right. I mean, that pisses off all of my New York buddy. It pisses them all off. But on the other hand, like you're griping about something, and yet on the other hand, you're a well-known chef because there is food media. So it's like they get mad about these like young kids coming in and wanting to be all hot shots, and you can't. Have your cake, to use another food reference, and eat yes. it as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you can either own your cake or you can have eaten your cake. This is the only two choices. You know what I mean? Like, you can't expect to be a well-known chef that people write about and, and then get pissed off that somebody else wants fame and doesn't necessarily understand the work that's involved. Yeah, and if you microwave that cake. Yeah, super fast. Yeah, then, then there you go. And then uh, people are interested in your cake. As, yeah. Pretty much everybody knows that the solution to this problem is to make two cakes. You make two cakes, one that you, you keep for visuals, that's the one that's iced well, and one that has a better icing to cake ratio that you eat that tastes better. I mean, that's the answer. Yeah, yeah. Well, with almost anything, too. I mean, that's interesting. Like, how do you cook on television, which is another thing that I really love talking about. It's like, you do things like that. You make two of the dish that you're about to serve so you can test one, so you can pick which one's a little bit better than the other one. Um, yeah. So when you're doing TV, how much prep time do you have? In other words, so here's the issue. I see a lot of people, especially young people starting out, especially if they want to do kind of new technique stuff, they do stuff that they haven't necessarily uh, tried, and it can be nerve-wracking, right, trying something for the first time on the camera. Oh, I mean, that's the biggest mistake, right, for all these young kids on shows like Chopped or Top Chef or something like that. Then they're making blueberry snow out of maltodextrin, and it's really not delicious, and everyone's yeah. kind of also seen it by this point. And then they get sent home and then they're like, oh, the, the judge doesn't get me. No, they get you. <laughs> they get you really well. Uh, you thought that, you know, that was some secret thing you just pulled out and it didn't taste good. Right. I mean, the thing is, is that like I think to me it's OK to try some combination you've never tried before. But make sure that if you're going to serve people, that the technique you're going to use is something that is in your toolkit, that's in your, you understand how it works, you understand why you're using it, yeah. right? and it has to serve deliciousness. I mean, it's yeah. pretty simple. Um, yeah, so if you can do people. both, then you're, you know, you're going to be famous like Richard Blaze. I mean, that's <laughs> obvious. <laughs> oh, we got we to call it. Let's yeah, see what they got. Call? Caller, you're on the air. Hey, everyone. This is Anton from Pennsylvania. I'm a research chemist in training, and I've been following cooking issues for some time now. Not, uh, where in Pennsylvania? In college. Where in Pennsylvania? Um, I'm in Allentown, but I commute all the way from Philadelphia. Uh, uh, all right, nice. All right. I was just in Allentown. Yeah, yeah my, I used to have relatives who lived there, actually just outside in uh, Kutztown. Yeah, yeah right. my mom lived in Scranton for a bit. Really? Nice. We're just connected on so nice. many levels. Good. And so what do you got? Nice. What do you got for us? Uh, yeah, this is actually my first introduction to Allentown, but... Um, I actually wanted to say before I get to my question that, that uh, Alton Brown's Good Eats was my first introduction, like really compelling introduction to science and not just food. So really? That's uh, mm. pretty seminal to, uh, to where I am now. But in, in, in regards to my actual question, I've uh, been wanting to experiment with homemade miso, and I wanted to know if store-bought miso, uh, say from Whole Foods, would be appropriate for culturing my substrate. Um, a friend of mine has uh, taken charge of a Korean natural farming program in New Jersey, and will be trying to optimize their rice operation, which they claim to be one of the few farms producing rice in the Northeast. Um, all this being said, I wanted to use this opportunity to experiment on some novel uh, rice strain and uh, just kind of play around with miso. So I wanted to know your thoughts. Uh, real quick, I'm, can I just take yeah, a yeah, real yeah, quick? Sure, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm going to pass on this one. <laughs> 
so, <laughs> like I thought we were going to the right place with Alton Brown, and then like yeah, this is a Dave Arnold question. No, well, actually, you know, uh, you should our Cook Quest, who uh, is like the miso master, does uh, like a miso workshops. I w- look a lot of. I mean, it depends on what you buy. There are uh, there are misos out there that haven't been dorked with. Uh, and that are still kind of alive, but you can just get koji. I would just buy the koji. Uh, it's readily available, and um, you know, look up, our, go like tweet our cook quest. That's his Twitter, I think, right? Our cook quest. Yeah. Uh, he's been on the show before, actually, and he can hook you up with like the very, the very best in koji strains. But uh, you know, like here's the issue: when you're doing something like that. I mean, unless you have a miso that you lovely, 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 love, and like you're like maybe there's some special mojo about this, I would just use a. a and he is of the opinion, by the way, Rich, that's our cook quest, that the strain of koji isn't necessarily so as important as the um, substrate. But right. uh, so I would just buy the koji. This way, you're you're guaranteed to have it work. It's not already been uh, possibly. You know, treat it with something or, you know, because a lot of times, especially, I don't know what misos you're trying to make, but if they're doing like a shiro miso or something like this, they, they hit it with alcohol to wipe out some of the, you know, uh, a little bit of alcohol to stop it from further, um, you know, uh, fermenting or breaking down. So uh, I don't know. But I'm interested in this Northeast rice. Have you guys ever heard of this? Mm. Northeast rice? Anyone? Anyone? Northeast rice? I think it's a novelty. He, um, so, so my friend uh, studied at uh, USC, chemical engineer there. And I guess he ended up working at a commune in Ojai, California, which I don't know if anybody knows Southern California. I just partied um, in Ojai like two weeks ago. Really? It's an amazing place. Yeah. All right. Right. So he, uh, he learned some Korean natural farming and uh, like worked with indigenous microorganisms. I don't know if any of this like rings a bell. But um, he, uh, yeah, he brought it over here and he kind of ended up talking to uh, this, uh, this farm in Pennington, New Jersey called Blue Moon Acres. And uh, they were super open to the idea, and it looks like they were kind of heading in the same direction. So the stars kind of aligned. And, um, yeah, I've enjoyed their race. I mean, they're still pretty young in terms of the actual program, but uh, I figured I might as well, like, use this opportunity. Why not? Yeah. All right. Well, you know, like, uh, let's see. Like, my point is is that any it depends on what they can grow. So, like, New Jersey, any time that they're not growing a tomato or growing a corn, I want to hit them because, like, they, that's what they should be doing. But I'm sure there are land types in New Jersey that don't grow great corn and great great uh, tomatoes. So then, yeah, great. grow rice, right? I mean, grow rice, I guess. A lot of great things. You know, New Jersey, Garden State, we forget that New Jersey was the Garden State. And especially, you know, Richard, you're a Long Island guy. Yeah. And which we grew up hating, not hating, but, you know, ranking on New Jersey. But It's like your cousin you give a little, you know, a little hard time to every once in a while, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like imagine if your cousin was the Jersey Turnpike. Right, exactly. Yeah, you'd give them a pretty hard time. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of good things came out of New Jersey, like uh, Welch's grape juice. Do you like Welch's grape juice? Love Welch's grape juice. You have a recipe for Concord grapes in here. Welch's grape juice, New Jersey, Vineland, the best. Yeah, Six Flags. We used to go from Long Island to Six Flags. Okay, here's one for you for those who any you guys. Well, too young. Remember Action Park in Vernon, New Jersey? I do. Yeah, and people. What I didn't realize as a kid, people would die there constantly. Yeah, I had my junior high class trip there. Yeah, sick. It was amazing. Sick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, people would apparently get drunk. I was too young. The people who worked there would get drunk and rip the regulators off of the go-karts so that the go-karts had unlimited speed at night, and they would also be drinking. So, like, workers used to die all the time. Not forget the kids. Workers used to die all the time. Oh. Why don't they bring that place back? <laughs> Why don't they bring it back?
Kathy Irway, the host of Eat Your Words. Today I'm here with Camilla Salisbury, author of Bob's Red Mill Everyday Gluten-Free Cookbook, 281 Delicious Whole Grain Recipes. We're going to get to the bottom of this gluten-free craze. So why aren't people eating gluten and what does gluten-free really mean? Well, there are two main reasons why um, people are deciding to go gluten-free these days. And the first one is really serious. It's for people who have celiac disease, and it's a pretty serious um, condition. But then there is also a growing number of people with gluten intolerance or gluten sensitivity, and they're trying out um, gluten-free diets um, because they find that eating foods without gluten just makes them feel better. Okay, got it. But what actually makes something gluten-free? Well, what makes something gluten-free is essentially that it doesn't have any um, of the protein gluten in it. And a lot of people are surprised to learn that um, many grains do not contain gluten, when in fact just a very small number of grains do. Does anyone offer truly gluten-free options? Um, Well, Bob's Red Mill really understands gluten-free options, Um, and that means... They separate their grains um, during the manufacturing process, and so they're testing each batch at every step of the way for purity to ensure that it's gluten-free. So when it says on the package that it's gluten-free, you can be assured that it is gluten-free. All right, so gluten-free listeners out there craving some steel-cut oats can pick up a pack of Bob's Red Mill and rest assured you're getting the real deal. Learn more about Bob's Red Mill and all the gluten-free products that they offer at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. So anyway, I hope that answers your question. Uh, Sure, caller, you're on the air. Hey, Dave. It's David from California. How you doing? Where in California? Great. Hey, Richard. Hey, what's up? Love Juniper and Ivy out here, by the way. Oh, thank you. Hey, uh, so there's a lot of myths surrounding this. Should I salt my eggs before cooking or only after? And what's the science uh, on why you do one or the other? Before I I have him answer, which style of egg are we talking here? It could be scrambled, an omelet, uh, almost any any style. Mm. Well, I, you know, this is ironic because, Dave, I was going to ask you the same question. Like, when I came up here, I was like, what am I going to ask him? I was going to ask you about how do you season your eggs before yes. or during or after. Yeah, I season omelets definitely before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe, like, over easy, maybe, like, just as a finish, but... That would, that's how I cook. Yeah, definitely. Uh, before, uh, here's some things. It does change the egg somewhat, and I think in a helpful way. So, like, uh, you ever make, if you like, you, you ever do like uh, sweet egg preparations, like a sweet omelet, like a tomato or something oh. like this, right? Delicious, right? But you know, when you're blending that stuff beforehand, you can see the yolks go kind of translucent on you when you add like the salt and the sugar. And so you're, you're definitely changing the egg yolk by adding that stuff, I think, in a positive way. That's just my feeling. Yeah. And so I do it beforehand. And it's, yeah, in a positive way, making it more delicious. That's right. I'm also a firm, firm believer in uh, not having a, uh, a thing that needs a bunch of salt throughout with some salt on top. I prefer... Properly seasoned throughout, with a little salt on top. You know what right? I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, but, but you do you like finishing salt though, right? Cause love it's it. Just like because I think that's one of the things that just happens in restaurants that regular restaurants don't do it. 
And like it's just whether it's a little drizzle of oil, a little citrus, some zest, a little salt, like those little finishing touches. That's why I love the pass. Right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you can look at it and be like, ah, and then you fin- you'd like, fix it's it. It's not at just the about end. spitting food out, it's about yeah. like the finishing touches and putting the eyeballs yeah. on. But like, so, but like in a sandwich situation, every freaking layer, every freaking layer gets its own salt, like a little bit. So, like, when you, I slice the tomatoes, now you don't want to salt the tomatoes way ahead of time because it, it'll, it, Christmas gets ruined, destroyed, Christmas over, you're a bad person. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But unless you're making a salsa or something like this, you want to break it down. But like, Salt the tomato on, and then th- every layer gets its own thing. Yeah, with burgers especially. Yeah, yeah. That's one of my pet peeves. Like, season the tomato that's on the burger. Because it wants it. It wants it. You make the you, – yeah, you salt – I don't salt the inside of the burger because I don't want the texture to change. So I salt the ever-loving crap out of the outside of the burger. We're on the same camp right there. Right. We're, we're vibing right now. Also, there you, Oh, but you have a stuffed burger which we'll talk about later. But then the – yeah, and then you salt the different layers because they want it. Because they freaking want it. Back to eggs real quick. Um, This is something I just did recently. I had a little black truffle Uh on my person. And I brought it on an airplane with me. That's smelly. And it is. And when I got served an omelet, which most airlines serve a little Please tell me you did not do this. Did you? How did you get the shaver on board? I just, I had a little, a little rasp that somehow like got through. (laughs) And I just was like, you know what? Just for my, my person sitting next, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to give this guy a show. And I pulled out a little black truffle on an airplane and just rasped, just showered this, you know, vomit. We call those things vomit with real black truffle, <laughs> and like it was kind of amazing. Did it unovercook the omelet? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it made it kind of like enjoyable in the entertainment value. Right, of right, it. right, right. Yeah, yeah. How do you? Ki- those things are. I was surprised that I even got on the plane with a truffle, not only just the rasp. If you, you know what? Like, I bet you a little oil as well could bring that omelet back from the. Brink, right? The yeah. oil and the truffle would just be like a topping, and then you could think of the omelet as bread. And if you put some gooey cheese in the omelet, that helps. That helps, helps too. The sort of but they don't do that, do they, right? One of them does. Um, I mean, not to judge airlines on their omelets, but I would say I'm, I actually fly Delta all the time, but United has a really good omelet. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, right. so that's the like, one thing like they can do, right? During the whole thing with United, I was like, uh, but they make a decent omelet. The omelets... <laughs> I told last week uh, or two weeks ago. I talked. They killed a giant rabbit. They ripped that guy <laughs> off the airplane. It's hard, yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. But their omelets, good. Their I omelets mean, pretty good. I mean, as far as airlines go, I gotta keep it real. Like yeah. they make a good omelet for an airplane omelet. What kind of container do they in? Like, and how much of the omelet tears away when you open that foil thing? Is it just some sort of hideous nightmare with that? Like- no, they. Um, so you know, I'm riding up front, Dave. Okay, <laughs> so like. <laughs> They're pulling the at least on this flight, and they're they're pulling the foil off up front. I don't see it, and it's a nice little container. It's per, they do listen. You know, I mean, I could leave the sausage and sweet potato hash off to the side, but the omelet is pretty good. You put a lot of the truffle on it. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. ride I ride deep coach. Deep, deep coach. <laughs> Metal seat. Yeah, yeah. Like, like the seat right before the back bathroom. Yeah, well, Nastasia and I are like, uh, uh, does that seat recline? Because if it does, it's too good for him. <laughs> And like they, you know, right? That's right. Deep coach. Cattle class. You know what I mean? Like I'm one step above uh, the rabbit that United killed by putting it in a freezer. They do let me deplane with the rest of the passengers. Just last. You know what I mean? Oh, man. Oh, airplanes. Eggs. Has this helped you at all? Yes, it does. So you're going to chalk it up to urban myth that chefs who say salted last second only. Well, why would they? Why? What's the theory? What's the theory of operation? Why I would want to salt it at the end only? Uh, you'd have to ask the chefs who insist on it. I don't know. Look, here's here's what I'm going to say about this. Anyone, 
most people that I know, even complete nincompoops, who are professional cooks that cook all the time, if you taste their food and their food is good, then you – even if their explanations are crazy and make no sense to you, it – it makes sense to kind of focus on their technique and what they do and why they do it. And maybe you learn something that you didn't already know, like aside from what you and your, your head think, right? So the first thing is, is their food good? And then if it is, just observe what they do. And maybe there's a good reason. I don't know. And current company excluded. Most chefs are just assholes. <laughs> Family show. Oh, sorry. That's all right. Don't worry about it. You're allowed to. I was, you know, I was looking up, you know, in uh, in a North Ireland now, not in like the, not in like lower UK, you're allowed to say gobshite on the TV. Oh, I just want to start saying that just in general. It's a good yeah, word, never right? I've said it. Mouth poop. How, is, that, is that what it means? It translates, yeah, like gobstopper, like everlasting gobstopper, like a mouth, like a mouth stopper, the gob being the mouth. Ooh. Gobshite. Mouth I should have poop. thrown that one. I apologize, by the way. Gobshite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're not in Northern Ireland, but, you know. Thanks to both of you. And it, to tweet us and tell us why I'm not supposed to add the salt until the end. Maybe there's some sort of reason. I don't know. I, I, I can't see a reason why I would want the inside of my egg not to taste good. I'll right. give him the over easy. Like maybe over easy because it's thin and like you can. Yeah. Uh, also, by the way, here's a uh, here's a uh, what am I what, what you said uh, an admission. I don't do the French style uh, curded scramble egg. I don't. Okay. I like an American style scramble, like a hard curd, not the creamy curd. Ooh. So maybe, but no, all those creamy curd ones are salted, but maybe they're salted towards the end. Maybe it affects the curd structure. Maybe that's what the chef is talking about if they're doing the old school French. But there are a lot of those myths, right? That you just kind of pick up and it's just like, why are you doing it? Oh, because the last 12 people told me to do it this way, but I've never thought about why I'm doing it. Salt, 100%. And sugar 100% affect the temperature at which the protein sets and probably also the curd structure. So maybe it has something to do with those French, like, you know what I'm talking about, the super slow, slow Is it a moisture curdish. issue? Like, uh, the, like salting mushrooms only at the end of a cook time? Which I salt that stuff right at the beginning. Look at you. Yeah, I yeah. salt everything right at the beginning. Salt. Salt is your buddy. Speaking of salt, you, why do all chefs, I like them, why do all chefs love the bocarones more than the salted anchovy? I like... Uh, I like both for different things. Yeah, they're yeah. different. Yeah, one to eat on its own on some on a nice tartine, which was a right. bruschetta, which now is a toast. I can't keep up with like right, right, what's cool it? to call call a slab of toast. Uh, so I like the bocaronas for that, but like for a sauce or something, right? Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the old school, throw it old in school, there. Yeah. yeah, I like the tinned, packed in salt guys. They're really Ooh, good. Yeah, and you know they recently. Um, so for those of you that buy anchovies packed in salt. Uh, they they used to for my whole life. They came in a giant, not giant, but like four anchovies, giant can that's like kind of like it looks like an oversized tuna fish can. You know the one I'm talking about, right? And it's metal, right? And you have to open it, and then it's sitting around in, in your in your uh, in your fridge unless you use a boat ton of anchovies. And the can can sometimes rot through. They just move to a plastic tub. Huh. So I'm, oh my god, that's that's blasphemy. Yeah, no, pla- you don't like the plastic tub. I, I kind of like I buy those just for the tin because the tin is oh. like I love the tin you love the tin right alright alright I mean I'll get the plastic tub as get well but tub. I feel like that's try a the shame plastic, try the plastic tub that's really a shame so actually. Here's, here's some random stuff so yeah. uh, I noticed you do your squash blossoms in a, in a masa flour. You, get, you like the crispy crunch on the masa? Well, I feel people underuse masa on I, a fry batter. Here's the no? thing a native New Yorker who lived in Atlanta for many years and now I live in Southern California and like my world has been open to all things Mexican, basically. 
Uh, so we have we pay a little homage to you know some traditional Mexican foods at my restaurant in Southern California, and I think that what you're looking at a squash blossom relleno. Yeah, but I like right? the texture of a of a masa fried masa dusting better yeah. than cornmeal. Yeah, I think a little not not quite as. Uh, Grainy, right? Right, but also yeah. like it maintains it. You know how like when you fry in a cornmeal, it like sogs out pretty quickly. It, it does. So masa is hard the way corn is hard. It has the crunch, but I don't think it sogs out as fast. Right. Masa is also the name of one of my sous chefs who's really? never soggy. It is, but it's always crisp and just on top. Japanese, of it. Japanese, strong. But do you like like play off make masa cook masa? No, but th- you've just inspired that. That's so, what's like, when we happen. put this dish on the menu. So a couple other things I noticed that you like to mess with the names of things to piss off purists. I'm assuming it's to piss off purists. You have a steak tartare <laughs> recipe in here called carne asada. Oh, yeah, yeah right. It makes no sense. Zero right? sense. Zero sense. Like, anti-sense. Yeah, and like, whoa, it's, yeah, it's raw. It's supposed to be cooked. It's cooked. No, it's raw. Yeah, I, we like to have fun. We make up words. Like, so when we do, uh, when we blend some uni into linguini, we just call it linguini because, like, why not just create a word while yeah. you're at it? If you're an artist, create the word, not just the food. Well, my favorite pun in this is you do Wu Tang clams. Wu Tang clams. Because it's got the Chinese sausage. Yeah, but listen, the thing about because it's got the, the Chinese sausage, but also Wu Tang clams ain't nothing to shuck with. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and you're selling Nastasia. Nastasia loves some puns. Uh, so I'm a 90s hip hop kid. So I can't I'm a native New Yorker. So I can't I will never break out of that. Yeah. So Nastasia, brace yourself here. Okay. Okay. There he, there's a Putinesque in here, right? <gasps> it's, it's Bucatini, but no freaking tomato. Huh. <sighs> it's got capers, it's got olives, not the right kind for you, but it's got olives in there and capers. No freaking tomato. Yeah, well we what are, it's a green version of it, right? Yeah. So it's a green version. So give me can you give me like I know when we start talking about Italian food the authenticity issue gets pretty strong. Well, it's interesting that you go, you do a green Putinesque, yeah, especially. Everything's green in the book. Is this where we're going? No, it's no, 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 you do, <laughs> you, you do that. So then I'm like, all right, he's doing, he's doing a green Putinesque. Okay, whatever. Right? I mean, not Putinesque, but okay. And then I turn the page and I see crab meat and a, and a tight tight. And I'm like, what is he going to cover this with? And you go breadcrumbs. And I was like, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, we <laughs> breadcrumbs. We got the Calabrian chilies. We opened with that. And there's some sort of authenticity, Richard Blaze. There's a little bit there. You got to go breadcrumbs. Yeah. I love yeah. breadcrumbs on the pasta, by the way. My son Booker loves it. He puts too much on. He calls it Mount Breaderist. He pours like breadcrumbs all up in yeah. his pasta. But I love breadcrumbs. You also on have pasta. to care for the breadcrumbs, though. This is a pet peeve of mine too. Like you have to make the breadcrumbs toasty and delicious, uh, you're and than I am. You're they have to be right seasoned, right? Like you can't just. I've seen on TV shows like you can't just open up panko <laughs> and pour it on top of your pasta dish, and you're not. You're really not servicing the dish. Well. What's that brand that comes in the tub? You know what I'm talking about? The tub of breadcrumbs that's oh. above the bread aisle? What's yeah. that stuff? What's that brand? Don't don't sleep on 4C. Don't 4C, that's don't it. Don't sleep on my mom's go-to 4C, 4C breadcrumb seasoning. <laughs> You've never had Long Island chicken cutlets like that, Dave. Never. Does a Salisbury steak where he remolds the freaking meat back on the bone. First of all, for any of you that grew up with a television, Salisbury steak. That's my go-to TV dinner. There right? you go. But, but here's why. Because you got the Salisbury steak. And then what lives right over the little cliff there is the cherry cobbler. And if you work a little of that cherry cobbler into your demi-glace from the Salisbury steak... You're all ready to go? You got cherry demi-glace, basically. So this is like the most not Swanson's Hungry Man looking Salisbury steak. That's one of my favorite recipes in the book because it's a hamburger on a giant bone. 
Like, that's what hamburgers have been missing. Do you do this in the restaurant? We've done it in the restaurant here and there. I, I would love to put it on the menu, and maybe the book will drive that. So. Will Californians pick up a bone like that? Uh, yes. Um, yes. Southern I mean, Californians? Like, what about L.A. people? Will L.A. people pick up a bone like that? Yeah, I think they will. They, I will say that, you know, the first question in California, you do the menu testing, and you know, does anyone have any questions about the 75 items on this menu? And then the first question is, can you get gluten-free? And, you know, can you do that vegan? Yeah, so, I mean, that's just California. This would be a very yeah. difficult vegan recipe. That would be, in, in, yeah, that would be really tough. Because yeah. how, how do you make a giant bone out of tofu? I mean, this would, you would have to tackle that. Yeah, that I mean, that's, requires an advanced mind. They could have the, the herbs and the garlic, but that's about it. Yeah, no, that's, that's it. All, that's yeah, all you they can't get. get that one. Here's yeah. one that's going to drive Nastasia and see. Nastasia has a very like like you know to her fans well known vegan face. You ready for it? Oh, yeah, vegetarian. Uh, I guess it's not vegan. Yeah. Ready? Beet loaf, not meatloaf. Beet loaf. What do you think <laughs> about that one? Who hates beets. You hate beets. I hate beets, but you hate. You beets. hate I beets. I don't hate beets. <gasps> I don't hate. That's a lie. That's a lie. I love. <laughs> I love beets. What I don't like is when they taste. Dirty and they're in giant chunks. I like a pickled beet. Yeah. I like a sliced beet. I like a beet salad. I like beets in things. I like party hydrated beets. I'm going to take it to a place where you might, yeah, you wouldn't know that I would go there. I like canned beets. Oof. Uh. Yeah, I like them. They're earthy. They're earthy. I don't like when beets sneak up on you like later in the day when you maybe are going to the restroom. Yeah. And then like you have that one moment where you're like, oh my God. Oh, okay. It's all right. I had beets. Sneak beets. I had beets. Sneak beets. So is this actually, like, honestly though, it's cooked in good? the tree. It's delicious. For real. Yeah. It, 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 it's tastier than the picture looks. Let me see here. <laughs> I noticed, I noticed, so you have, this other, you have a recipe for gumbo and you're like, gumbo's ugly. I'm just not going to shoot it. No, it, it, listen, you can't shoot all of it. Actually, the, the, the soup chapter of the book is one of my favorites because they're all sort of soups that are meals. Like, you know, you could do the nice little puree soup with some croutons, but like, these are all soups. Like, you put out a big bowl of it, and your family just goes at it. So, like, gumbo, kanji, some of the, the recipes we have in there, they're like meals, borscht, when it's like just lots of chunky things floating around. I like soups like that. You know what you, you, know what you put meals. in as one of your seminal, uh, like, childhood or, like, you know, young adult, the Tom Kagai? You know who doesn't like Tom Kagai? Yeah. This one over here. Yeah, I, I, can, I get it. Is it I don't. too this much is delicious. fish sauce? It's the coconut milk, right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Just forget, forget, forget. She's just crazy. You know what else she doesn't like? Biscuits, biscuits. <laughs> you wait a second. You don't like beets, biscuits, biscuits. or tomka guy? Well, coconut milk, hot coconut milk. Do not like. Do you like cold coconut milk? No, no. Okay, okay. So you don't. You you do not like coconuts. <laughs> no. hey, okay, but hold up, hold up. So I noticed in here, and I've seen this a lot in the past uh, couple of years, is that people pushing towards. Cream in, in the in the biscuits, so like like mixing the butter base down yeah. with some cream. So do you like it because the biscuits just are more tender because there's a little extra moisture in them? This what? this recipe is uh, an homage to sort of food scientist Shirley Corey. Yeah, yeah. Good, yeah, I've met her a couple times. She this recipe, if you if there's one recipe you're going to do that, do that one. And you like, like the self rising flour? You call for the old school self rising? Cool yeah, you got the lily white. You got to get the the lily white and. Uh, you know, maybe there's a little like sentiment behind it as well, but it's like a cakey biscuit. Like you, you almost have to serve it in the tin because it you you can't like remove it from the tin. That's how soft, creamy, supple it is. Can you say supple for a biscuit? Supple. Yeah. Is that a word for food? Supple. Like I hate when people do that. By the way, so I Wait, shouldn't. Are these cut or are these dropped? <laughs> these biscuits. Uh, they're cut, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. you just yeah fill up the pan and just gets yeah. my Thanksgiving sort of recipe and. We serve it at the restaurant. It's really popular. Hey, Dave, really we got to wrap it up in a minute. Okay, uh, so I noticed uh, your cornbread recipe doesn't have enough butter. Kidding. 
Does it? Yeah, it's got too much butter? No, no, it's it, like, it's good if it's a lot of butter. And then when it comes out, put more butter on it. That uh, would be my suggestion. So just for you to know, like, it's, uh, so we're looking at, like, um, uh, a little more, oh, you do blue, uh, a little more cornmeal than flour, but, like, you know, pretty close to that kind of classic 1-1, one, one, right? So cup, a cup, uh, little over a cup of each. And then two sticks of butter to four eggs is like boom, man. That's what, like what you, that's like twice waffle butter, which is nice. There's plenty of vegetable recipes in the book. And then a pound, a pound of jalapeno butter to serve on the well, side. Well, no, well, listen. That's you know you put some in the fridge. A lot of the recipes in there are okay. You're going to make this thing jalapeno butter, uh, this mayonnaise sauce, and then you put it in the fridge because don't you want to have stuff left over? I do. Yeah. By the way, there's a picture of you, chef. Hitting the whipped cream directly out of the uh, EC. I have to tell Dax, my son Dax, every day not to, not do, to this. do that. Yeah, so that's that that's example. Sort of, it is a horrible example. I am a horrible example. I hope that I've made that clear. All right, one more thing. I'm going to have you answer one question, but then your chicken recipe, interesting because it's closer to like what I would see. Like it goes directly from. You do two marinades first. You do a pickled marinade, brief pickled marinade, then in buttermilk, presumably to tenderize and soften, right? Yeah. And then directly into the into the flour mix, which is very like a pies and thighs used to do it that way. I think Roberts used to do it that way, but it's right. like to me an alternate because I'm a, a dry dust wet thing, and you go right out of the thing. But like it lacquers down, and your right stuff into looks it, and you let it almost. sort of air dry a little bit if you can, and that sort of I think helps with the. the did you lacquer? Stuff. Did you lacquer your chicken? It looks so shiny, like it looks like yeah. Almost so that Korean. one, that the picture there, then we toss it back in that sort of Nashville. Nah. Uh, hot sauce, which you, really works. Yeah, this is a secret. Yeah. All right, now you're going to answer this question on the way out. Before oh my gosh, okay. I'm ready? not prepared for any questions. Yeah, here it is. Vlad, which is an amazing name. Vlad. Vlad, I want to change my name now. Yeah, Vlad. Here is, I have a question about searing duck breast. Every time I sear and finish it in the oven, it comes out good, but when I start to cut it, juices are everywhere. And when I transfer the uh, cuts to a plate, the juices continue leaking and it does not look good, especially with mashed potatoes. I know about resting. I tried it too, but the meat cools down very quickly, and after five minutes rest, the breasts are not hot enough and some juices are still running to the plate. So this ah. is, so then, and I'll give you, and then uh, my current method is to give the breasts a, a, a minute or so of rest and then to cut it and put it on towels to absorb the juices before I plate it. But I'm still losing the juices. What am I missing out on? Uh, and uh, Vlad's technique is to um, score it, salt, pepper, skin down uh, for until it browns, and then in a in a hot oven for seven minutes. Wow, I mean, my answer is going to be super simple. Maybe it's the bird itself, right? Because depending on what that bird's been fed, there could be all sorts of. Or do you think like if it's frozen, like it's going to frozen, or yeah, sometimes it's like just brined or something. I don't know if the probably hasn't been brined. Yeah, I um, tend not. Too too much because I think it firms up the inside of the. Yeah. It firms up the. I'm thinking about what he's using. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. But also you got to let it rest. It seems like it's a resting issue, and then like a little little heat lamp sort of like if it's resting but in a warm space. That's what I'm saying. Hot plate. Like let it rest. Hot plate. Hot plate. If you're gonna do a duck breast like this, right? Right. Warm your plates a little bit. Like if you he doesn't have two ovens. This is why it's useful to have a plate heater. Right. Right. Yeah. I, not to push my own stuff, I sometimes will sears all my plate a little bit to warm it up so that it doesn't cool down your product too much. Uh, By the way, if, if there ever was like a Game of Thrones, like sort of like, oh, chef, pick your weapon, I grab the sears all. It, it, well, especially if someone has it and you fire it right next to their ear, they're like, what the what? Yeah, I also like will wrap some, like, like I'm also swinging it. Oh, nice. Just so you know, like if you can paint that picture. I probably, my lawyers probably say that you should not do that. Don't do it at home. No, I'm not suggesting that at all. But lawyers are saying we got to wrap it up. All right, so listen. 
All right, Dave. Jeez, Luis. All right, so uh, so Vlad, uh, you know, if you have more questions or if you want more, we'll, we'll deal more. I have some other questions about cocktails. I didn't get to them. I apologize. We'll get to you. I might not. I might be in China next week, people. So I might not be back next week. I'll let you know via Twitter whether I'm back. We're going to visit. We're doing the Spinzol, which is the centrifuge I'm working on. So I have to go to Shenzhen uh, to to pre-approve, and it might be next week. How much does it hold, like per vial? Oh uh, well, no, it's it a- not. It's open bucket, <gasps> so it's 500 milliliters per bucket. But you can run it continuously so you can just set it and forget it and walk away from it and do liters and liters and liters. Dude. Working on it. Dude. Working on it. All right, so you heard it here today. First, this is other than the Today Show, so we play... I'll take, <laughs> I'll take seconds to Hoda and Kathy Lee any day. Uh, uh, Richard Blaze's new book, So Good, out today. Go on Amazon, take a look at it. Thanks please, so much for thank coming. Thank you, So Good. Please help me beat the Ninja Turtles pizza book and jump on and buy a book, please. Yeah, come on. And if you're going to buy a cartoon-based cookbook, make it be Bob's Burgers. Agreed. All right. Cooking issues. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thank you.